Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's the, the just the, the fleshly nature of, of our hearts wanting to flee to that which we see, we can touch, we can control, and be opposed to, to God. Um, wealth is dangerous because it's the, it has the power to allure us to put our trust in it and, and drift from the Lord and forget Him. You know, another thing, Mike, is uh, being ignorant of that, and so then it just overtakes us. Uh, you know, if we're not aware, good. Well, we need to be in the Word, and we need to be feeding ourselves, so then we'll have defense. And uh, being, being ignorant of it, uh, excellent. Yeah, big danger. Excellent. And we're gonna hammer that away this morning. Just yeah, the, the it's no big deal. You can trust it. It won't, it won't matter. It won't hurt you. Um, casual mystery life. It's good. Um, so last week we defined who the rich man is. Remember, who is the rich man? Is it the person who just has a lot of uh, financial means? Is that the rich man? No, the rich man in Proverbs and most of the Bible refers to the person who trusts in his wealth. It's the person who's controlled by uh, his wealth and his money. Um, it's always negative. Um, he's grown secure. He doesn't need the Lord in his imagination. So, so that was last week, and Michael, this week, you can see on your outline, is I want to hammer away at um, our heart attitude one more time before we get into sort of the practical nuts and bolts. Uh, what do you do with wealth? How do you practically pursue wealth? Um, do you do that at all? Um, so this week, I just want to ask two follow-up questions. The first is, why is it folly and evil to trust in wealth? Why is that folly? Why is that so foolish? And second, what are some evidences that it's present in my life, that I am doing that? Am I doing that? What does that mean? Um, so the first thing we're going to do is look at the folly of evil and evil of trusting in wealth. And my goal here is just that our hearts would be moved um, to take the danger seriously, what Mark is talking about. Um, wake us up afresh. Um, we're in danger if we drift here into trusting in our possessions. So look at the first reason. The first reason it is folly to trust in wealth is because the one who trusts in wealth and his riches ignores their life-destroying power. Ignores their life-destroying power. Again, there's nothing morally right or wrong with wealth Hard attitude that, that twists it, that misuses it. If we're not careful, we'll begin to crave it and trust it more than the Lord. Um, and that's why it's dangerous. It'll destroy your life. So, and well, wait, how will it destroy your life? Well, look at the A under this point. It'll destroy your life because it, it has the power to take your heart away from God if it's trusted in. It can take your heart away from God. And how many examples we have in Scripture of this very thing? Over and over again. A faithful man was led away from God, whether in apostasy or some other great sin, because he felt secure in his prosperity. This is what happened to the kings of Israel. Um, look back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We're going to be flipping a lot of different places this morning, so um, get ready. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16. These are laws concerning kingship. Deuteronomy 17, 16. 
And um, the Lord's given them, saying, You may indeed set a king, but he must not do these things. Verse 16, Only he may must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, You shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. All of these things, horses and wives and gold, um, are not only things that satisfy fleshly cravings, but they're also all things that would give kings a sense of security and a sense of safety. Um, Horses for war, wives for marriage alliances with other countries, and gold to buy the help of other allies to come help you. Um, and look at how this played out in the life of Solomon. Go to 1 Kings 10. 1 Kings chapter 10. Go to verse 14. And keep Deuteronomy 17 in the back of your mind. 1 Kings 10, 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. That's a lot of gold. And this whole paragraph unfolds the massive amount of wealth that Solomon accumulated. Look down at verse 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Look at verse 28. And Solomon imported horsemen from where? From Egypt. Exactly what Deuteronomy 17 said. Then chapter 11, verse 1. And King Solomon loved, what? Many foreign women. There's no question that 1 Kings is pointing us back to Deuteronomy 17. Solomon neglected the warnings that were given to him. His downfall began with ignoring the warnings of Scripture concerning wealth and prosperity and from clinging to those things, relying on those things. That's where it began. It's the warning for us not to take these warnings seriously. Um, Solomon probably thought the way a lot of us think. Yeah, it's normal kings we need to be careful, but I'll be okay. I'll surely be safe. Um, I won't be entrapped. God's word is not accurate in my case. It's the beginning of folly and apostasy to neglect these warnings, and that's what Solomon did, and... um, and he drifted. This is the point we're, we're making here. Take the warnings of Scripture seriously. Uh, what it says concerning craving and relying on your possessions. Depend on your wealth and watch your heart drift. That's what it says. Recognize their power to take the heart away from God. Um, let me show you a few more passages just to hammer this away. Look to Second Chronicles. Um, this was not just the case with Solomon but for just about every other king um, in, in Israel and Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. I'm just going to go very fast. If you don't um, catch up, then it's fine. You can look them up later. Second Chronicles 12, 1. When the rule of Jeroboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. Along with him. Verse 14. And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He was comfortable with his position. Chapter 16, verse 1, Asa, 
Um, verse 2, he took silver and gold and sent them to Syria for Syria to come and help him. He relied on that for help. And then verse 9 um, says the Lord is looking for people who will look to him and not gold and silver. He didn't rely on the Lord. And, and what's amazing about this is verse 12. Look at how his life ends. He was controlled by wealth. He set his heart on that. He drifted from the Lord. And in the 39th year of the reign of Asa, he was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. It began small, and it grew, and it led him away from the Lord. Chapter 26, verse 15 to 16. About Ahaziah, he is skillful. He had all these uh, instruments he invented. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to his God. John Flavel says, Will not keep this keep thy heart humble in prosperity? To think how dearly many, many godly men have paid for their riches. That through them they have lost that which all the world cannot purchase. Beware, it's dangerous. They have an alluring power to trust them and lead you away from the Lord. Take the warning seriously. So trusting riches has life-destroying power. It can take your heart away from God. And it has the power to lead to self-reliance. This is the B under your outline. Lead to self-reliance, being right in your own eyes and ignoring God's word. Proverbs 28, 11 says, The rich man is wise in his own eyes. Being wise in your own eyes is the essence of folly. It leads you to ignore the truth of God's word. Riches, possessions have the ability to cloud the vision, to belittle God's word, to not take it seriously in my life. Again, Flavel says, John Flavel is a Puritan. Um, another encouragement, get to know the Puritans. They're excellent. Um, he says that he indeed is rich in grace, whose graces are not hindered by his riches. There are but few Jehoshaphats in the world, of whom it is said he had silver and gold in abundance, and his heart was lifted up in the way of God's commandments. So beware, riches, trusting them will, not maybe, it will lead your heart away from the Lord from trusting him. Number two. The one who trusts in his riches, that's what we're talking about, trusting, not just having them, trusting in them. The one who trusts in his riches ignores the certain judgment upon such people. Go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse 28. It says, whoever trusts in his riches sometimes falls. So it says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. It's certain judgment. Falling in Proverbs always refers to, to divine judgment. The question is not if they will fall, but when they will fall. It always leads to certain judgment, whether that's in the form of painful discipline, if you're God's child, or um, eternal destruction, if you're an unbeliever. Um, it will result in judgment. 
read you a short illustration from Spurgeon. When I was studying this, I, I, this came to, to my mind. Spurgeon used this illustration in reference to saving faith versus unsaving faith, but I think it's very applicable here. He says, I am told that years ago, um, a boat was upset above the falls of Niagara, and two men were being carried down the current. When the persons on the shore managed to float a rope out to them, which rope was seized by the both. One of them held fast to it and was safely drawn to the bank. But the other, seeing a great log come floating by, unwisely let the rope go and clung to the log, for it was the bigger thing of the two, and apparently better to cling to. Alas, the log with the man on it went right over the vast abyss, because there was no union between the log and the shore. The size of the log was no benefit to him who grasped it. It needed a connection to the shore to produce safety. And in the same way, it is the height of folly to trust something so unworthy of our trust, such as riches. It will result in going over Niagara Falls. It appears more safe and secure than the slender rope of God's word because it's big in our estimation to the flesh. And it's folly because it's not connected to God. It's not connected to eternity. It will result in sure judgment. You grab a hold of this, make this your trust, you're going over the falls. Number three, the one who trusts in riches ignores the uncertainty of riches. Flip over to chapter 23 of Proverbs. Verses four and five, and this sort of helps unpack why riches are like a big log in the water um, that can't be trusted. It's because they're uncertain. It always leads to judgment. They're, they're uncertain. You can't put your hope here. Twenty-three verses four to five. It says, "Do not uh, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings." Flying like an eagle to heaven. I <laughs> um, love that picture. Um, it's uncertain. You have it and then it's gone. Flip over to 1 Timothy. Keep your hand in Proverbs. We'll be coming back here. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll be coming to 1 Timothy 6 a lot, so keep your hand there as well. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Listen to what Paul says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Riches are foolish to put your hope in because they're uncertain. By their own nature, they cannot provide any kind of security. Um, they are just as uncertain as life itself is uncertain. A lifetime of accumulated wealth may vanish in an instant after a natural disaster Terminal illness, crash in the stock market, theft, moth or rust, like Jesus said. Um, and if none of those things, then, then in your death. It's uncertain. It's here and it's gone. It's like a log in the water. It's a foolish thing to put your hope in. Number four, the one who trusts in riches ignores the deceitfulness of riches. They're not only uncertain, but they're deceitful. What do you think of when you when you hear the word deceitful? Um, what comes to your, to your mind? What, what does it mean to be deceitful? Good, not honest. Good, so it, it covers the truth, right? Um, 
Deceit always presents things other than they really are. And the best example is a fishing lure, right? It, it's there, and it, it, it looks attractive. It looks like something good, and it covers up the, the danger that is in it. Riches are deceitful. They present as something good to be desired, to be trusted in. They said, you can trust in me, but they hide their poison from view. Um, look at Matthew 13. Keep your hand there in 1 Timothy. We'll come back. But Matthew 13, verse 22. Listen to what Jesus says about it. Matthew 13, 22. Talking about the parable of the soils, and he says, As for that which was sown among thorns, is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, why are riches here deceitful? What makes them deceitful? It's because they call you to choose them in exchange for the kingdom of God. It's an illogical decision. And it's only one who's deceived who makes, makes such a decision. Choose riches in, in, instead of the kingdom of God. Um, it's foolishness. And yet they're deceitful and people do it all the time. They're able to choke the word by cluttering the life with temporal things that don't matter a hill of beans in eternity. Um, and lead us to neglect uh, eternity. Deceitful. You can see the same thing in 1 Timothy um, chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. It leads people in apostasy. Only something that's deceitful can lead you away from the gospel in exchange for a, a pot of lentils like it did Esau. It's, it's deceitful. It will lead you away from the gospel, which is the pearl of pearls, in exchange for a dollar store um, pearl. It's pretty foolish, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it does. You have a it seems to me that someone that is deceitful plans to plans to be deceitful. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this. I didn't do wrong by mistake. I mm -hmm. did wrong because yep. I planned good. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, and. Uh, um, and I'd say it's, it's just the, the, the bent of our flesh just to lead us to be deceived, even if we're, we're not just even aware of it. And that's why we have to be on guard. If you're in our Owen uh, study on Saturday mornings, Owen just pounding away at the deceitfulness of sin. And it uses whatever it can. In this case, it uses wealth to deceive us. Um, and it's desires to lead us away from the Lord. So um, it ties it together with uh, Satan himself, who is a great deceiver. Mm -hmm. It's good. Yep. Yep. And the unregenerate nature, um, even the, the old Adam nature that's still left over in us believers is um, it's from, it's in accord with, with the devil. And uh, it's exactly, it's, it's his desires and that's what we're fighting against. Um, look at number five in your outline. The one who trusts in his riches ignores eternal realities. Um, look at 1 Timothy 6 again if you're, if you're still there. Verse 7, Paul says, We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. It's folly to be devoted to wealth because it makes us forget that they are temporary and have absolutely zero relevance in eternity. Just because you're rich here has no bearing on your eternal condition, whether or not you'll be rich in the kingdom. It's a folly. 
Look at verse 17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, has no bearing on whether or not you're going to be rich in the age to come. It's folly um, to make this your focus. The only um, use riches will be in this life is if they're invested in life to come. Verse 19. Um, he tells them to be rich in good works and store up treasure in the kingdom. It's folly to be devoted to wealth and place your trust here. There's absolutely no eternal value in itself if it's not invested there. We can go to a ton of passages in Proverbs that makes the same point. They're on your outline. It just says over and over, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Riches do not profit in the day of judgment. Riches do not profit then. Much better to get righteousness. Much better to make your life's goal to use New Testament language, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. Don't seek this. Number six, those who trust in riches ignore their worthlessness in God's economy. Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and the poor meet together. God is the maker of them both. They stand on equal footing before God. God is no respecter of persons. Uh, Riches cannot do that which is of most importance and affect our standing before God. Revelation 20 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and I saw the dead, great and small, rich and poor, all the kings of the world, of all the paupers next to each other, standing before the throne and books were opened. On that day, it will not matter how large your bank account was, what investments you made here, um, all will stand on equal footing. It cannot um, affect that which is most important, which is your relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Like there's like sure there's a balance and it's hard mm-hmm. to figure out like what the difference between trusting in riches is mm-hmm. and security of mm-hmm. you know like when people put a lot of money in yeah. savings for their retirement yeah. they are somewhat trusting in that for their future sure. so what I mean feel like it's hard to it know what the difference between are they trusting in it or are they just know they're secure so they don't want to think about it which yep. is not really um and, and that's why it's helpful, we're going to see it in, in Proverbs, it balances itself out. I mean, it, it, Proverbs commends planting. It commends the ant. Why? He stores up for the winter, right? And, and, and it's wisdom to do that. It's wisdom to work hard and to provide for your family and, and all these things. So there is a balance there. You know, another way to look, yeah. too, is that um, you, oh, I got a senior moment, kind of forgot what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> Why does it happen? Because <laughs> it's a good point that you made. Um, that uh, the uh, God, it just flew out of my head. <laughs> it sprouted wings and took off like an eagle. <laughs> I, so, I am so sorry. <laughs> I might blurt it out in about two Blurt it out here. Um, just a minute. I'm going to hopefully try to answer. Um, that question and what are the evidences of it in my life because I can store it up and um, and yet not be trusting in it ultimately as my as my hope there. it's a good question and I think that's the tension we should always be feeling um, if you get too far on one side uh, you've neglected the truth I got so, it. okay <laughs> you yeah you will not be you know in terms of storing up and being like that then you're not a burden on others it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it, it, there's a, there's a point where there's a, a positive. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, Proverbs commends hard labor. It commends um, 
providing your needs through hard labor, uh, the sluggard sits around and yeah. just waits for it to happen or says, well, I don't have to, you know, or it's not a big deal. So you can mis- mis- abuse these truths and say, I don't have to work hard then. That's, that's an abuse. And I don't have to be wise in, in saving. Um, but we're going to talk about what are some evidences that, that it's in the life. Um, so, uh, good, very good question. Um, number seven, you can see there on your outline, the one who trusts in his riches ignores their ultimate source, which is which is God. God is the one who gives, and um, uh, it, it puts trust in the gift rather than the, the giver. So, um, so right now, I just want to pound away at the folly of it. Why is it folly to crave it? Um, why is it folly? And it's because um, it takes our heart away from God. It, it turns us to that which is worthless, unstable, and temporary in exchange for what is valuable and secure. So the question is, how do I know whether this is going on in my life? Because it might and it might not. Um, I want to know, is this is this me? I just want to investigate in the uh, in the time to come. Um, so you can flip over to the back of your, your outline. And look at this look at this list here. And there's probably more things, but these are some thoughts that, that I have we can talk through them. Let me read it, and then I'm going to pick out a couple just to uh, focus on. It's evidence that you're trusting in your wealth, that you, you, you are uh, been deceived by folly, like we've been talking about. If it's what, what is dictating um, you rather than Christ, you can see the, the parable of the, the rich young ruler. Uh, it's what dictated his life. It's what determined um, his discipleship. It's what governed his obedience or not. Um, he would go with Christ, but it didn't cost him too much. So I'm trusting in my wealth. If it's what's dictating my discipleship of Christ, and you have to work through that, is it? What is Christ commanding of me? And is hunger for wealth keeping me from that? Is it, is it holding me back from what he is commanding me to take up my cross and follow him? Number two, um, and here's the, the clearest, sin to get it or sin to keep it. Um, that's how I know am I trusting in it. Just because you're having it, you're, you're saving it, doesn't mean you are, but are you willing to sin in order to get it? Or are you willing to sin in order so you don't lose it? It's an indication of like, trusting in it. Number three, casualness when it is possessed. Take it easy. You know, the, the, the rich fool, he built his barns and says, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. you got your life set. You don't have to worry. And what did he do? He neglected eternity. He didn't lay up riches. Where? In the kingdom. That parable ends by saying he was rich towards himself and not rich towards God. Um, he neglected using his possessions for eternity altogether. Prayerlessness, lack of zeal, sloth, neglecting duties, all evidence. I might be uh, relying on these things. Number four, anxiety when it is threatened. Number five, hoarding my possessions rather than using them with generosity. Number six, discontentment, craving for more, constantly um, needing more. Um, So we got a few minutes left. I want to zoom in on number four and number five. just in, in, in closing, and then we can bat a few things around if you have some questions. But number four, anxiety when it is threatened. Look to look at Luke chapter twelve. 
Luke chapter 12. This is the chapter where the rich fool lives. He built his tourist barn sound to build bigger, to be secure. Um, and immediately after that parable, look at where Jesus goes in verse 22. He finishes the parable. This one is rich towards himself, not rich towards God. And he says, and he said to his disciples, therefore, there's a connection here. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In other words, anxiety and worry about possessions, even the basic necessities of life. Look what he says. Not about just for this extra stuff, for food and clothes. Anxiety, worry about these things, evidence is a heart that is drifted. It's becoming like the rich fool, finding your security in the, what you possess and not in your father. And again, this is where we need balance. This obviously doesn't mean we should have a carefree attitude about life. It obviously doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard and earn a living. We're commanded to do those, do those things. The point is that anxiety that weighs you down, that leads you to fret about your life, threatened over your needs, uh, worry about your needs when they're threatened, reveals the focus of trust is shifting away from your loving father to your own ability to preserve your life. So you see anxiety, make sure you trace that back to your heart. Where's that coming from? What am I trusting in? What am I afraid that I'm going to be losing? It reveals you've begun to think that life consists mainly in stuff. Look where Jesus says, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, if you're anxious, you're revealing that you're forgetting your father, not trusting him, and you're concluding life is consistent this. And if life for you is food and clothing, then you're going to be worried about it, because if you lose that, you lose what? You lose your life. You lose what your life was all consistent in. And Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6. He says you cannot serve two masters. If your master is wealth, if your master is mammon, because you'll be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. It reveals, anxiety reveals you're devoted to something other than Christ. Your fear of losing what you're devoted to because that is your life. So where's their anxiety in my life? Am I anxious, fretful, worried, weighed down because of possessions, riches, even the basic necessities of my life, it evidences that I'm trusting it. It evidences I have another master rule in my life other than Christ. So that's one evidence. How do I see it? If I do, repent. Turn to him. Seek his kingdom. Make him your trust. Next, look at number five. Hoarding my possessions rather than using them with generosity to those in need. It evidences I've begun to rely on my possessions rather than on God. We've seen this a number of times in Proverbs. Withholding good from your neighbor when it's in your power to do it. Um, you need a neighbor, you have the ability and the opportunity and you withhold it. Evidence is you're trusting in it. You're afraid to give it away because it will make you vulnerable. You're afraid to give it away because you might lose a little bit of that security that, that you have. 
But again, it doesn't mean you give it all away. It doesn't mean you neglect responsibilities for caring for your family. It just means that a trust in wealth can keep us from using it rightly, from sacrificing to ourselves, from depriving self for the good of another. Remember the rich man in Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus. He had needy Lazarus in front of him, and he withheld his possessions over and over and over again, and he was damned for it. He was because of his neglect of generosity. He was a rich man who was hoarding his wealth. And this is not to say that generosity earns us heaven. It doesn't. The rich man was condemned not because he didn't earn heaven. You go to heaven by repentance and faith in Christ. But his lack of generosity did what? It revealed his heart. What was wrong with the rich man? He had a hard attitude that was out of whack. His problem is that he didn't trust God's word. He loved his wealth more than God. He was not rich towards God. That's the point. He was not willing to obey God's commandments concerning his wealth because he trusted in them. He loved them. You don't go to heaven because of generosity, but no one goes to heaven who's not generous. It's the evidence that you trust the Lord. Hoarding possessions and refusing generosity reveals a heart that trusts in them. And uh, just by way of an exercise, go home. I did this with Naomi this week. Got our bank statement out. Just look, all the money we spent the past two months. And uh, how much of it has been spent on selfish things. The other's basic needs we're going to have to take care of. But what weight in there is there for giving? Um, church this is your primary place to give. Um, generosity to those in, in need around you. What kind of weight does that hold in my, in my budget? Does it hold any? Um, it'll say a lot about your heart and you trusting in it or not. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, do I really trust? You can say I don't trust in it, but does your bank account reflect that? Finally, just, just to conclude, the, the opposite is, is, is the case as well. Um, whereas hoarding my possessions reveals my trust in them, how do I fight it? How do I combat this? How do I combat trust in wealth? The way is by giving it away. That's how I practically fight against it. And we're going to talk about this um, in the weeks to come when we talk about the right uses of wealth. But all I want to say here is the way we guard our hearts from trusting it in it is by liberal generosity. Um, you're in Luke 12. Look at how Jesus finishes this whole section in verse 32. So he gives the parable of the rich fool. Then he says anxiety will reveal whether or not you are the rich fool. In verse 32, he gives us the, the antidote, the medicine of the mood. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will follow where you invest. You want a heart that's free from the love of money? You want a heart that's free from the entanglements of the world? Invest it in the kingdom. Your heart will go there. That's how you guard yourself. And how do I get strength to do that? It's by believing these promises. God is eager to give you the kingdom. He's eager to give you the kingdom. Therefore, invest it there. 
look there. Trust that. That's the only way we'll be guarded. So put it this way. Your trust in the Lord, your love for him, recognition that all you have is from him, that he'll provide for your needs, that righteousness is more valuable than wealth, will liberate you for liberality. And the way we practically fight trust and wealth is by actively expressing our trust in generosity. I need to fight it. I gotta fight it. Me and Naomi concluded we, we gotta put more weight in our budget for, for giving. And it's not because it's a legalistic thing. It's because I want to fight the craving in my heart to trust in my wealth. And I want to be obedient to what my Lord commands me. And I want to lay up treasures in the heavens. I don't want to be deceived by the deceitfulness of riches. It's here. We're here for two seconds and then we're gone. Let's invest in the kingdom. Put off trust in wealth by putting on trust in God, which expresses itself in generosity. So any questions, um, comments? We've got a couple minutes here. R.G. Laterno. R.G. Laterno, very wealthy man, had a plaque on his desk that said the question is not of how much of my money do I give to the Lord but of how much of the Lord's money do I keep for mm. myself. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Yep. It's good. And it's, it's a perspective change we need. It's not mine. It's his. And um, am I being entangled by it thinking it is mine and that it provides me security it provides me true fulfillment it doesn't. Yeah. It reminds us our only hope is Christ. If you don't have him, you're, you're, you're enslaved to this. There's no getting out. Um, and, um, and I'm seeing, I, I see it in my life. I see sins in my life that are rooted in this. I have to mortify and put to death and repent. And the call is for us to all uh, get to work. Where are these evidences in my life? Put it to death by calling it the folly that it is. Trust the promises of God and then fight it with the practical tools he's given you. You know, the, the good foundation verse uh, in the perspective on wealth is in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's, it's all of God. And it's just our bent in our heart to trust his gift rather than the giver. Any thoughts? Anything more? Questions? Get to heard a helpful illustration one time. I remember uh, it came from Clay Magazine, but anyway, um, it was thinking of your money as Monopoly money, the, the game Monopoly, yeah. where you, in a normal game of Monopoly, you're, the goal is to collect as much as you can and get more than everyone else. But he said, what if this money could be invested in the future after the game is over. How would you treat it differently? You want to keep just enough to stay in the game 
and invest the rest in the future. And so I think it's helpful to think of our money kind of like that. We can in, we can invest everything that we don't have to have to stay alive in our eternal future. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So, and the folly with that is by boasting that I'm really rich in Monopoly and forgetting that <laughs> I'm very poor in real life. It would be a fool that would do that. And yet, we're tempted all the time. So, it's good. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It pierces, it exposes, we're sinners, Lord. We love and trust your gifts rather than you. And we are so earthly-minded. We repent of it, Lord. And we thank you for Christ who liberates us. Because of the Spirit in us and because of the promises he's given us. And help us to make more. Lord, it's, it's so serious. We don't want to drift from you. Paul warns that those who've made this their lives low often drift into apostasy. Let us not take it lightly. Let us use whatever you've given us for the kingdom. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be balanced, earning, saving, working hard, and enjoying what you've given us. But holding that balance where we're not trusting in it, and where we see the trust, we, we put it to death, and we... Devote ourselves to your commandments. Thank you. Thank you for Christ. We love you in Jesus' name.